Welcome to the latest edition of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. This is Dave Matter. You will not hear the voice of Ben Fredrickson this week. He is, uh, I guess we could say maybe on assignment. He is not, not with us this week, um, but I am, and we are happy to be joined by Howard Richards. You know his name. You know his voice. He's been the radio analyst for Mizzou football. This will be his his 10th season. We were just talking before we hit the record button. Surprise! Uh, it's it's it has gone by fast, but 10 years in the booth with, with Mike Kelly. And, uh, of course, a former great Missouri player, offensive lineman, first-round draft pick, played with the Dallas Cowboys for, for a long time. And uh, back in the, in the Mizzou fold here for the last decade or so with, with calling games for Tiger football. And, and Howard, we've got a lot to talk about in college football and, and really the country. There's a, there's a lot going on. And uh, first of all, just how have you spent these last three months or so, you know, since the, the quarantine started with, with COVID and, and with, with uh, everything that has gone on? First, let me say, Dave, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you and share my point of view on things. Um, um, and so let's get after it. Um, I have been working out. I have been watching national news, probably just like everyone else, um, and really just paying attention, you know, uh, trying to follow uh, uh, first and foremost, you know, with the, well, not foremost, but first, uh, what's happening with uh, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, which is uh, unprecedented uh, effect on this country. Um, and, you know, we're all affected by it in, in, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And then, of course, uh, of late, you know, the following the Ahmaud Arbery case and, and now the uh, George Floyd case, it is you know, it has been jaw-dropping news, uh, the way things have unfolded the last few weeks. And it's, it's tragic. It has truly been uh, disappointing uh, to watch. And it by no means, you know, the, these protests were not a surprise. Certainly not to me. And I hope they weren't a surprise to anyone else. I mean, these things were to be expected. Um, and I, I have to say this. And, you know, for those that insist that Colin Kaepernick's choice to kneel um, during the national anthem when he's with the 49ers was a result of him trying to disrespect the, the flag, disrespect the national anthem, or disrespect the military, you are sadly mistaken. He made that very, very clear. It has been made very, very clear by many other people as to why Colin Kaepernick took a knee. And he took a knee as a result of what happened to George Floyd. Police brutality, that is the issue at hand. People don't understand, is, you know, the black community has been waiting for justice for a long, long time. This is the year 2020, and this is still, you look at Derek Chauvin's, um, the look on his face when he's got the knee on the neck of George Floyd, and it just makes you want to burn. Um, it, it was disgusting. I, I was totally, I, I just couldn't believe that I was watching. Um, yeah. and, and so this is why people, you know, when, when other people in the, in the, uh, that were bystanders were trying to get him to get off of that. And the fact that uh, three or more other officers, you know, chose not to remove him 
from that, um, they're going to have to face the wrath um, and, and face their maker as well because it, it was sad. You can't stand by and let someone be murdered innocently. I don't care who you are. Um, but, but especially, you know, police officers that are held to a higher standard uh, when you know that it's wrong, you've got to act. And it, it's sad that it didn't happen. Um, but this is where we are in the United States. This is where we are in the world. I mean, this is not just happening here in the United States. Uh, this is an issue that has to be dealt with. Um, racial inequality still has to be dealt with. Uh, and it's not. And, and people are out there demanding justice. And I'll say this also. You know, I am not uh, an advocate. I do not condone violence. Um, but I understand why people chose to do what they do. Because many of the silent protests um, have not resulted, you know, in, in progress. Um, and when you want to make a point, when you want to get people's attention, you have to do things to make them uncomfortable. Uh, and that is what you were seeing uh, across this nation. Um, and it's, you know, the violence, I think, will eventually taper off uh, now that these officers have been arrested and charged. Uh, again, people are still watching, you know, because now it, it, the next step is a trial and, and uh, a conviction is what people are hoping for. If for some reason Chauvin gets off, um, I, I pray as to what will happen to this country. I, I truly do because that is about as egregious an act of murder as you will ever see. Um, and beyond that, uh, we'll just have to let the, the legal system play out yeah. uh, and be hopeful. And, and then listen, there are non-blacks, there are whites, there are people um, of Asian descent, of Indians of descent that have suffered at the hands of dirty cops. So I am, I don't hate police. I'm an, I'm an advocate of police. Uh, I grew up with many members of my family as police officers. I have lots of friends that are police officers. So, and by no means am I condemning police officers or the, the, the police profession um, as a whole, not at all. I'm talking about those that are guilty of criminal activity and only those. So I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, absolutely. It there's a lot to unpack there. Do you think at all, and I was talking to Conzo Martin about this earlier in the week, that this story, the George Floyd case, it seems to be getting a level of coverage and attention that maybe similar incidents didn't in the past. And maybe some of that has to do with the fact that the, the country has been shut down for a while. People can pay more attention to things because of COVID. People are out of work. I think that's that's raise the level of anger and frustration that people have and it you don't want to call it a perfect storm because there's nothing perfect about this but it's all sort of coming together at one time and you're you're seeing these um you're seeing it unfold in real time just kind of like watching that video of that, that happened in minnesota a little over a week ago um it, this this seems unique it seems different than the other other episodes of of, of police brutality that we've seen in this country it is unique in so much as so many people have, have seen it and so many people are appalled by it. Um, and the outcry and the reaction um, spread so quickly and it spread you know, throughout every, every state in, in this union. Um, and you could 
attribute that, I think, to people being at home um, and being able to pay attention to what's happening with the news. And people are trying to get information as to, you know, when they can resume what they know is a normal life or as near normal as possible. Um, so people are paying attention to the news. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the attention goes away from COVID and focuses on, um, you know, something like this. So yeah, the, the awareness level of people uh, is much higher as a result of uh, people being uh, at home. And maybe that is a good thing. You know, uh, maybe this is a tipping point um, to law enforcement agencies and to those uh, that are in positions to make change. Is time for them to really listen and pay attention um, and, and, and focus and give people the respect that are out there protesting, you know, for such change. It's our right uh, as citizens of this country to do so. Again, just, just saying that, you know, I, I don't condone, condone the violent acts, um, but I do understand it. You know, and I say I understand it. I, as you know, Dave, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, yeah. um, specifically in the Palestinian territories of, of Gaza and the West Bank. The people that live there are not citizens of any country. They're still fighting for freedom and independence uh, with really no hope, you know, no economy to speak of, no military. Uh, they're dependent on aid from other countries, okay? Um, and they are um, oppressed by um, the, the, the Israelis. And so they result to violence, you know, with the, through the acts of, uh, you know, most recently, of course, Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization, but the other side of Hamas, if you take the terrorism away, they do a number of good things, you know, for uh, the Palestinian people, you know, providing money, providing food, shelter, daycare, healthcare, all those things. Um, unfortunately, they, you know, do participate in terrorist activity, which cannot be condoned at all. Uh, it has to be spoken out against. But, you know, listen, I understand why they do what they do. Um, and at some point, it's got to stop. But it's got to be, that's got to be negotiated. People have to, that, that have the will and the power, they've got to force those two sides to negotiate uh, and fix this. Um, but again, this is, this is analogous to what's happening in this country. People are fighting because yeah. nothing's been done. Yeah. For, for our listeners that don't know all of your story, Howard spent 13 years, is that right, in, in the Correct. Central Intelligence Agency. So you have seen those, you have seen things way beyond America and way beyond football. You, you look at these things that happen in St. Louis and Minnesota and beyond, you have a different lens than most of us do. Does that influence impact the, the way you perceive what's going on in our country right now? It does, it does. Now, listen, the United States is, uh, in spite of its problems, it is still, the best country in the world to live in. Um, and again, that's my opinion. And I say that because of my experience and in, in, in places to where I've traveled and things that I've seen. Um, but we still have a long way to go uh, to fix the systemic problems um, that we're all faced with every day. Um, and it's, I see it in other places, uh, but I see it here. It's easy, it's an easier fix here in this country, uh, which is, I think that's, yeah that contributes to the frustration level that I have, that people can't understand. 
again, I mentioned it being a tipping point. I listened to the uh, commissioner, police commissioner uh, in, in New York City, and uh, I was really um, encouraged by a lot of his words. And uh, there were other police commissioners, chiefs of police that I listened to. And I was particularly struck by one that said, you know, if he said to his officers, if you think what happened to George Floyd was okay, turn in your badge and gun right now because it will not be tolerated now. We've got to have more of that from people in leadership. Um, but also people should know that uh, they have the right and the ability to challenge authority. Uh, and just because you're in, in a position of authority does not mean that everything you say and do is right. Yeah. Um, so we've got to have two-way communication between authority and subordinates, um, open communication, people listening, being empathetic. That's my hope for from where we are today to where we're going uh, in the future. And, and it's sad that, you know, the country's leadership divided uh, politically, you know, and, and we're, we are better than that as a country and we have to continue to get better. You know, our, our common world is college football. And I thought University of Missouri football yesterday, the team that we're familiar with, I thought they did something pretty powerful. And we, we saw the images, um, a group of players. We, we learned a little bit more today. Eli Drinkwitz did a, a Zoom with us in the media earlier today before we recorded this and explained this was very player-driven. Um, they decided to have a march, a peaceful march, in the afternoon from the columns on campus to the courthouse, Boone County Courthouse downtown. Um, coaches bought in. They, they joined them from all sports. We saw Conzo Martin out there. We saw entire Missouri football staff out there, Robin Pinchton, uh, members of the Columbia Police Department joined them, Moon Choi, the, the president and interim chancellor joined them. And it, it, at first glance, I looked at it, saw the pictures, and thought, kind of looks like a photo op. I don't know if, what's going on here. They took a knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds when they got to the courthouse, symbolic of the, the time that the officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck. But then came, I think, the important part. 62 players and athletes went into the courthouse and registered to vote. And that, that to me was the difference. That's what, that's what didn't make this just a photo op. There was some action behind it. What, from your perspective, what, when you saw that or read about it, what did you think? Uh, it was a pride point. I was extremely proud of uh, the players yeah. uh, and their voices and their leadership. I believe it was uh, Marquez Manuel um, who suggested that they do this. And you have to have leaders like that in your organization. Listen, this is not, this is more than just football. Yeah. Um, these guys are learning how to become men. They're learning how to become citizens. They're going to be professionals in some industry beyond their college days. Um, they're, le they're learning tolerance. Uh, and, and one thing that people don't understand about the nature of this sport that you and I both have in common. And I, you know, I've played a lot of team sports, you know, baseball, basketball, of course, and I love them both. Uh, football has proven to me to be the ultimate team sport. Uh, you are thrown into situations where you must communicate with people that don't look like you, people from different backgrounds, um, and you understand that it takes all 11 to make it work. You know, if, if there's one blow up, if there's one breakdown, the whole play can blow up. 
Now, obviously that's symbolic, but there are a lot of lessons, man. Football taught me a lot in life. And it taught me um, to have a great approach, um, you know, towards life. And, and I think my professional successes have been because, in part, because of my experience of playing this sport. You know, being disciplined, being able to communicate, uh, being patient, um, but also being aggressive um, and, and knowing when to move and when not to move and when to speak and when not to speak. These guys are learning this right now. So again, very proud of, of uh, the players, proud of uh, Coach Drinkwitz for uh, understanding and you know, using his authority to become more tolerant, listening to his players and, and allowing them to be individuals. Um, and, and the move again to to go to the Boone County Courthouse and register to vote, that's powerful. Now these young guys must learn, you know, about uh, the process of government and, and why it's important to exercise your, your civil right to vote. Um, and, and it's not just voting on the national level, it's voting in local elections. This is what a lot of these guys that you know, are registered in their, in their home districts, you know, have to understand that local level of politics matters. Sometimes, you know, it's as important, if not maybe more important, um, uh, than the bigger elections are. So that's how you really affect change in your communities. And the, the sooner that people understand that and learn that, the better. You know, someone made a, a comment to me that it was dismissive to encourage people to vote. Um, but I think they missed the mark. And this, this was, was, was a Mizzou employee. Yeah, uh, that said this. It was an act, actually an African-American employee. And of course, I disagreed because I, I know, listen, I grew up through civil rights. You know, I was born in 1959. You know, I've, I've been through DSEG. Um, I have seen uh, violence. I have been spat on. I've been called racial slurs. I've had people refuse to shake my hand. I've had guns pointed at my chest and at my head. Um, I get this and um, I, I don't accept it. And that's why people like me are continuing to fight for change. So I'm encouraged by what the youth of uh, this country uh, have, have, are starting to learn and understand how you get things done. Um, and, and again, press forward. You don't have to do it with violence, but continue to press until you, you get the ear of those in authority that can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're, you're on the ground in St. Louis. You you hear things from your peers and your friends and contacts. What has been sort of the impression that you're hearing about this new coaching staff? And not just Coach Drinkwitz, but he's he's really invested with his coaching staff in the region. Um, and I'm not just getting recruits, but you got to win over everybody. And it's been hard these last three months because everybody's been quarantined. But um, what what do you what do you hear? What do you sense? The coaching staff has been very aggressive here in St. Louis. Um, I'm not sure. I, was, I had some early conversations with uh, Eli uh, from when he first joined the staff, when he was first hired. I do also know that he has listened to uh, people in St. Louis that um, understand the recruiting landscape. He's reached out to, uh, I think, a lot of the coaches that – and maybe most every coach in this uh, in this metropolitan area that have players that uh, have a chance to play at this level. Um, 
talking to the parents, talking to community leaders. Um, and I think they've done their research on past history. You know, they've, they've understood, it seems that they've understood, you know, where the program has been and where he's trying to take it. In spite of the fact that there's been a, uh, a pandemic that has shut down everything, it, it looks as though he's been extremely resourceful yeah. uh, and, and not allowing, you know, this brick wall, if you will, uh, to stand in their way. They're still progressing. They're still trying to be aggressive uh, with regard to ensuring that the most, if not all of the best players in this state um, make Mizzou their first choice instead of their last resort. So uh, you really have to applaud uh, the efforts. Obviously, recruiting is one step. Developing players and producing on the field is another thing. And I feel bad for them uh, that being the first year and, and trying to prepare in an off season for uh, the 2020 season, you know, they've, it's been such a disaster as to uh, what has happened from uh, the standpoint of this uh, pandemic. Right. Um, but he, he doesn't seem to be using it as an excuse. You know, he's, he's trying to find ways uh, and trying to be more resourceful. So I, listen, I have nothing but uh, respect for what he's been able to do. And, and even if they're not successful this year, um, and, and, and success can be measured in a lot of different ways. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's doing the right things to build a successful program. Yeah. Howard, I want to put you in the shoes of a 20, 21 year old college football player who's getting ready for the season. Um, this is a very different off season, very different preseason. It's going to be in the age of COVID. What concerns would you have? What concerns would you, if you if you had a son who was getting ready to play college football and reporting to workouts, um, what, what what how would you kind of process what these college players are about to face? As a parent, I think I will have hoped that at that point I would have equipped my son with as much information so that he could make a an informed decision. Um, as you know, I, I have a daughter who will be a senior at Mizzou this fall. Yeah. Obviously, even though she doesn't play football, I've taken the same approach with her. Yeah. Uh, make, good, make good decisions, be informed, learn, ask questions, you know, seek out people um, that have knowledge that can help you. I mean, mentors, whoever the case may be, find someone that, that you trust um, and other people trust, you know, don't just do it willy nilly, but uh, do some research. Um, and understand their concerns. I mean, th this is a big deal. Now, young people seem to be a little more fearless yeah. than we older adults. You know, I understand that. Um, but by the same token, you know, ask questions, you know, if you have concerns from the medical staff, um, You've got to ask questions if what they're telling you is not sufficient to your liking. That you can't be afraid to ask those types of questions. Yeah. There are a lot of unknowns. Um, I, I will say that I was encouraged to hear that uh, uh, Mizzou will begin testing all their student athletes. Because if you don't, then yeah, how do you run there? You're, you're running a risk of, of yeah. missing someone that could conceivably have it. Um, and again, um, what we know is that testing is expensive. 
um, and the university that has uh, cut its budget, you know, there will be people that say, wow, you know, you, you can't afford to pay me, but you're going to spend this money on testing for student athletes. Well, you know, it, we all know that fo college football is a big revenue driver. Um, and when the university athletic departments uh, across the, across the country can generate revenue and income that goes back into the university. So it goes beyond just the sport of football. Um, but I, I think it's a good first step that you're going to test um, all of your student athletes. But again, it doesn't, it doesn't end there. You've got to be educated as to how they can protect themselves going forward. And the testing, the testing can't be a one-off. You've got to do this uh, on a more regular basis until you know that there is a, a noticeable downward trend in um, COVID-19 infections. Um, that would be my approach. Um, and, and I think that you have to, you have to, to some, to some extent, trust with the medical experts on the campus uh, who are certainly communicating with the CDC and state, state health experts on, on what to do. Um, obviously there are differing opinions out there, but seemingly um, taking a first, a good first step in the right direction. Yeah. It, it does seem like things are trending toward there's going to be a season. Now it's June 4th. Who knows what on July 4th, that could be different August 4th, obviously. I think if it were, we're up to the SEC, they'd play tomorrow, it seems like, uh, just from some of these states and some of these schools. Um, it's going to be a different kind of season if there is one. I don't think we're going to see stadiums at full capacity. Who knows what kind of guidelines there's going to be. Who knows? I mean, God forbid a, a player, players or teams have an outbreak and it's going to impact the whole season. Um, I think it's just best we just be prepared for this to be different than anything it ever has been. And maybe we're sort of conditioned for that anyway right now because it's been such a weird year uh, on, on so many levels, I, I would think. I agree with you. Um, where college football and, and where the NFL has a slight advantage is that they get a chance to see what's going to happen with Major League Baseball, right. with the NBA, with NASCAR, with the National Hockey League. Um, and see how, I guess, initially, uh, you know, uh, competition is going to take place without people in the stands. Right. And obviously the hope is that we'll, we'll gradually try to introduce that, um, introduce fans into the, the, the arenas, into the stadiums and other venues, and see how that works. You know, but they're, they're, they're unknowns. I mean, you know, here's a scenario. Someone – uh, shows up that's driven several hours from their 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 residence to Columbia, Missouri, or or uh, where Athens, Ohio, or wherever the case may be. Um, and if there are temperature scans being taken, this person has a fever, may not be related to COVID nineteen. You know, what do you do? Do they turn that person away uh, and tell them to go back home? You can't get in here. Um, those are things that you know have to be taken into consideration. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how will something like that spread um, in a stadium environment? We just don't know, you know, it, how distance, if we do have fans, how far apart will people be? What happens in the, in the suites? You know, yeah. tell someone that's paying tons of money that you, live, you can only have X amount of people in your suite. That's also going to be a hard question to, to answer. Uh, 
you know, will you, will you tick off donors uh, if you try to dictate that to them? These are hard questions. And I will, I'm going to guess that, you know, our institution is, is thinking about those questions. You know, I'm not privy to a lot of that, but yeah. um, I'm hopeful that, uh, that that's what they're doing. The good news is you won't have to stand so close to Mike Kelly, maybe. That's if there's any silver lining. <laughs> get a little distance between you and Mike. We're six feet away, pal. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of to, to wrap things up, kind of circling back to what we, we opened with. Sport, and we've, we're already seeing this, even though there, there's no real sports going on right now. Sports figures, are their, their platform is going to be prominent again. Um, and and whether they're African-American or not, um, there's going to be a, a lot of statements put out. There already have been, but even more. And some are going to generate a little controversy. We saw what Drew Brees said and how that mm -hmm. uh, upset a lot of people. Um, do you, are, you, are you optimistic, pessimistic about how sports will handle this? I mean, we're, the, the most prominent athletes are getting – they're getting good at this. The LeBron Jameses. Um, even Michael Jordan's putting out comments now. He never touched these topics when he was a player, mm -hmm. but now as an owner he is. Um, what's, what's next? I mean, is there a, is there a, is there a new Colin Kaepernick? Because I don't think he's going to get a job anytime soon, but it's, is, is there going to be an, an, another wave of this that um, is going to capture our attention? I expect that there will be. Yeah. Um, heard the question being raised earlier today. Um, I think someone asked Coach Drinkwood's that question on the, in the press conference. And you have to expect that people are going to kneel at some point if there hasn't been any significant progress made between now and the start of the season. Um, you sh people should expect that. But, but again, if people understand, you know, the issue as yeah. to why it's happening, uh, then they should not be surprised. And I, I think the NFL and the other uh, major sports leagues will probably have to understand that too. But, you know, I'd say pr primarily the National Football League uh, and the National Basketball Association because those sports are, or um, the, the, the participants, the players are mostly African-American. Yeah. Um, and these young guys uh, have – you know, massive platforms, you know, they represent their communities, they represent the league, uh, their cities, they also represent a lot of sponsors. So by the same token, you know, a lot of those sponsors have to be sensitive to because right. if you come out as a sponsor, uh, and try to condemn the words of, uh, you know, someone that you're paying to, to promote your product, the rest of the world's paying attention. Right. And they'll stop buying your product. You know, that affects your bottom line. Yeah. Everyone has to be careful in this environment. Um, and, and it will be interesting to see how this all evolves. But listen, I think people need to get ready because um, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But I, I expect to see more protests. I expect to see uh, more people kneeling. And, um, you know, if, if the leaks try to shut it down, it's going to send the wrong message to um, a, a lot of people that, you know, pay the price of admission. So um, it, it, again, this being a tipping point, I hope that it's going to move the needle in the direction that it should go yeah. uh, this time. Um, don't expect anything to, to happen quickly, but we've got to see measured progress. And that's what I hope for this country, that measured progress 
um, as much as we'd like to see it happen more quickly, uh, that it starts to become the norm. Right, right. That's a good place to wrap up. Howard, I always appreciate your, your candor, your wisdom on this topic, especially. Um, I hope the listeners really appreciate it. I know it's coming from the heart and it's, it, these are topics I know you, you, you don't take lightly. You, they, you really spend a lot of time. I know, um, uh, throughout your life and especially what's been going on lately. So, um, really appreciate you jumping on with us today and, uh, and sharing your thoughts. Well, Dave, thanks for your kind remarks, man. It's always a pleasure to interact and have a chance to, uh, you know, talk about real issues with you. So thank you. And I look forward to doing it again soon. Hope to see you in person at a game sometime this fall. Indeed. No doubt. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. Appreciate it. For our listeners out there, we, uh, we hope you enjoyed Howard Richards today. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, we hope you will become one. You can subscribe anywhere you find and listen to podcasts, Apple or Stitcher, any of your outlets out there. Leave us a comment, good or bad. Hopefully there's more good than bad these days. Um, we're going to bring you another podcast uh, for next week. Ben Fredrickson and I will both be... Uh, unavailable say on assignment uh, but we're going to record one later this week uh, with a good friend of mine a uh, one of the great college football writers in the country who has been i would say the preeminent reporter nationally on covid19 and how it's going to impact college football so look forward to that sometime next week and until next time this is the Eye on the Tigers podcast, and thank you for listening.